it's Manisha and Shirley from Make It Shine, the money podcast. On today's podcast, we talk about all the things we wish we knew about money in our 20s. That's right. We share our stories about money and also talk to seven friends about what we would do differently. Keep listening to learn more. a very interesting topic mm-hmm. because we know that in general, even as adults, it's difficult to talk and share stories about money. But when we do talk about money, one of the things you always hear is, oh, I wish I knew about this when I was younger. Right. Or if I could go back in time, I would do this or not do that. And after working in the financial industry for so many years, some of these stories seem really funny to me now. <laughs> Let's travel back in time, Anisha. Okay. Did you grow up talking about money and what did money mean to you as a kid? Oh, wow. Okay. As a kid, my earliest memory of money is getting cash to buy something from the corner store. Mm -hmm. So this was like a big event. And then the added bonus was I could go and buy candy for myself with the change. Yes. And where my grandparents lived in India, I could actually just easily walk by myself. I was probably four, five, no, probably not four, five, six years old. And I could just walk by myself down three houses and there was a small shop and it was run by what seemed like then was like a 90 year old man. Like he's probably 50 if I think about it now. And like, funny enough, he would never give me the full change back. And he would instead try to pawn me off with like candy in exchange. So he'd be like, oh, I don't have 50 cents. Here's two hard candies instead. Oh, wow. That's so annoying. He's swindling a little kid. Yes, it always annoyed me. And it is so common in India. I remember as a kid being told to buy something and, you know, what to expect in terms of cash back. And his system just messed up with that. So, yeah, my early understanding of money is that it's a means, right, to get things. And it was important to have for sure. And it was not okay to get candy instead of change back. (laughs) So what about you, Shirley? So my family did not talk about money openly. So I have memories of my dad withdrawing money from the ATM to give to my mom for groceries and everything was done in cash. I've been lectured by them on everything, but I can't recall conversations about money. Mm -hmm. So actually the lessons about money were always indirect. Right. Um, So my parents immigrated to Canada in the 70s. So they equated financial security with a steady job. Hmm. And my dad worked a lot and he was with the same company for over 30 years. So the importance of having a steady job was what I learned, but nothing about the value of money and how to save and definitely no talks about investing. Same for me. I think jobs meaning steady financial success was very consistent in that time. And I think even being an entrepreneur or taking something that could be even considered a risky job was not encouraged. And especially I would say as a young girl, you never saw women around you taking financial risks. I mean, even in the United States until the Equal Credit Opportunity Act in 1974, you actually had to have your father or your husband co-sign a new credit card for you. And I would say my earliest savings thoughts are seeing women in my family hide money in their clothes. (laughs) I mean, they had no pockets, so guess where they hid it? (laughs) In their bras. Yeah, so that's an original secret bank account, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was bizarre. So the memories really stuck. And haggling in India is huge. I mean, it still is to a large extent. So the value of money, I understood through this game of bargaining. And the whole concept, we call it pesa vasul, or getting your money's worth, Mm -hmm. like that comes early. It was never a formal conversation about saving, budgeting, or money management. But I understood the concepts of affordability, right? And if things were too expensive. But I actually really grew up in a cash-based economy. So the concept of credit was very new to me when I moved to Canada. Yeah, that's very interesting. So I did not learn about money management in school either. So for example, in university, I definitely didn't understand how credit cards worked. I remember signing up for my first credit card on campus. And the reason why I did it was because all my friends did. Because they were giving away free t-shirts. Yay! (laughs) 
I mean, I actually was the opposite. I remember taking forever to even get a credit card. I think I just didn't trust it because it didn't feel like real money because it wasn't my money. Yeah. I got my first credit card after I got a job. And all through university, I was just living on cash and a debit card. And it just made more sense to me. And no one told me I had to build a credit history or that I could get all these points. I remember coming across a paper brochure with all these retail cards on it. And you just had to put a check mark next to the ones you wanted to apply for. So I don't actually remember doing this. And many years later, I'm applying for my first mortgage. And my mortgage advisor pulls up my credit bureau report and asks me to review it. And I'm totally surprised mm-hmm. because there's all these random credit cards on there. And I don't remember <laughs> having any of them or applying for any of them. Like stuff like Danier Leather, Zellers. And you know what? It wasn't fraud after all. So I actually applied for them because I thought they were reward cards. I had no idea what credit cards were used for. It's crazy, right? These companies target you when you're young. You know, you just sign off without reading it. Now you have a credit card and it has an impact on your life later on. <laughs> yeah, with Danielle Leather. <laughs> or, or Zellers. Zellers is yeah. gone. <laughs> but the credit card history lives on. I remember getting OSAP, which is a government loan in Ontario to help you finance your undergrad education. I had no understanding of how it worked, when to pay it back, what the terms were, what the interest rate was. No idea. Mm-hmm. And everybody I knew was doing it I was like okay this is money I need to pay for tuition so just let's go and it was so much paperwork so I just glossed over it I signed where I needed to and just moved on so we're not the only ones that grew up not having conversations about money but there's great news because the education systems around the world recognize the need for them and have finally started to include financial literacy in their curriculum. That's so great. So in Canada, some provinces will start the topic as early as in grade one. Yeah, I think that's perfect because money habits form very young. So there's a study by the University of Cambridge that says it starts as early as seven. Yeah. I actually read another study that said it could even be as young as four. Mm-hmm. So we asked our friends if they could go back in time, what would they tell their 20-year-old self about money? It was really interesting to hear their thoughts because their personal stories are a little bit unique, but at the end, it all resulted in the same, right? They wished they had someone to talk openly about money. So it's really great that the schools are opening up this conversation early now. Yeah, so let's just jump into it. Mm -hmm. We summarized our stories to seven different messages. So friend number one would tell her 20-year-old self this, and I quote from her text, I would tell 20-year-old me about compound interest and to invest. Even if it's not a lot, I would just start. Yep. I resonate with this one a lot because I would definitely tell 20-year-old me the same thing. And wasn't it Warren Buffett who said that compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world? I know. I mean, our listeners can't see it, but I'm nodding so vigorously because this is the biggest thing I would tell myself too. So many, many, many years, you know, I kept things in cash and it's such a missed opportunity. And compound interest is the easiest way to do it. So for somebody that hasn't heard the term before, there's two types of interests that you may receive when you put your money in an account. There's simple and compound. Simple interest is the interest you get for putting your money in an account. So this is hypothetical, but let's say you have a high interest savings account, you've got a 3% interest rate. So just for having money in your account, you get 3% in simple interest. So if you have $10,000 after one year, you have $10,300. And that $300 is your simple interest. Now, if you don't touch that money the following year, you will again earn that 3%, but not just on the original 10K, also on the 300. 
So that's it just compounding. It's a snowball effect. Yeah, exactly. And furthermore, if you leave the money in the account untouched for, let's say, 30 years, a long time, right. the original $10,000 will now be over $24,000, of which $14,000 of that is all from interest, from both simple and compound interest. Exactly, right? And if our friend at 20 would have started investing earlier, she saw the growth of her money, it's likely she would add to the ten k. So let's say she adds $100 a month to that account for the next 40 years, by the end of it, the original 10K is now $124,000, which is huge. And $66,000 of that is just from interest. The message here is that consistent investing and a long-term horizon, plus the power of compound interest, will make a sizable difference to your financial situation. You just have to start. Mm-hmm. Also, one more thing. The 3% interest rate we use in this example is so conservative. Yep. Because if she put that money in the stock market, the average annual growth rate of the S&P over the past 30 years is over 10% a year. Right. And when you invest in the stock market, sometimes you receive dividends. Not all companies pay dividends, but many do. And the percentages range. And if you don't touch the money and reinvest the dividends, you actually get the compound interest there as well. Yeah, it's all good things. Okay, so friend number two said something similar, but he would tell his 20-year-old self the difference between saving and investing and also to do both. So I think a lot of people can relate to this message because I've noticed that people use the terms interchangeably, but they mean very different things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can look at it from a short-term versus long-term approach. So saving money is great. You hear people say that they're saving up to buy a tangible item or saving up for a trip. So that money is set aside for that planned purchase. Usually it's in a checking account or savings account, or many people actually even view it as their emergency fund, right? So this is all really great to have. And investing is a longer term approach, like planning for your retirement or your kid's education. Mm -hmm. You can still withdraw from your investments, but the mindset is that the money you put in an investment account is for a much longer time horizon, like years and years and years. And the goal is to grow your money. Mm -hmm. So... Products that would help you to do this would include things like RSPs, TFSAs, GICs. Another difference between saving and investing are also the risks associated with it. That's right. There's extremely low to no risk uh, you know, when your money is sitting in a bank account, if, especially if it's cash, which is why it's a great place to store your emergency funds. I mean, you could say you're losing money due to inflation. Overall, the impact is really low, especially when it's in a high interest savings account. Whereas if your money is invested in the stock market, the stock market goes up and down a lot. Yeah. And if you put your money in last month and you need to take it out this month, there's a possibility you may incur losses and, you know, there's tax implications. But like we mentioned earlier, the average compound growth of the S&P is over 10% as long as your horizon is long. And that's what's key here, right? So your chance of growing your wealth is really high, but you need to know, hey, do I need this money tomorrow? Yeah. And then there's also additional benefits from investing in an RSP. So for instance, if you want to go back to school or you want to buy a house, you can actually withdraw from your RSP without paying any taxes. I mean, this is obviously specific to Canada. So both are important to do, savings and investing. So I've always been a saver, but I didn't start investing until I was about 30. So that's 10 years of compounding growth and interest loss. Mm-hmm. But at least I've started. Exactly. It's never too late. So friend number three said, have fun, but think about retirement. We were just talking about this the other day, you and I, how when we were 20 and we thought people who were 29 were like so much older than us. Ancient. (laughs) So the thought of retirement is just so far away. It doesn't even feel real. Yeah, but it's definitely real now because I think about it every day. Early retirement, (laughs) really, really, really early retirement. In a recent online poll we conducted, 59% of respondents picked early retirement as their number one financial goal. And to be honest, that's my number one choice as well. So I would say a bit more context about friend number three, who said, have fun, but think about retirement. 
He was definitely a bit of a partier in his 20s. You know, when you're ordering around for your friends at the bar and then you're ordering another. And, and then what he said to me was, he's really glad to have all those memories. But at the same time, he looks back and he's like, man, I wish I'd invested just a small percentage of that for the longer term as well. Yeah, I really like that message. Always have a balance. I mean, a lot of my friends can attest that whenever they send me a picture of something they want and ask, should I get this? I always say yes. because and, and, and I'm their shopping hype person. Because <laughs> I know that from experience (laughs) because they've worked hard you've worked hard you guys save and invest so spend what's left over on some fun yeah I mean retirement is great but I don't want to wait until I'm retired to enjoy life right yeah so one of my friend's mom who's been retired for many years she meets with her financial advisor probably once a year and she always asks him to tell her the maximum amount she can spend on fun so that she can die with no money left in her account (laughs) I love it that's a goal (laughs) she wants to live her life to the fullest and I totally agree with her It's such a great way to live and to think about money. Okay, so friend number four said that she would teach herself the value of delayed gratification. So I'm reading from her text here. I would teach 20-year-old me about the value of delayed gratification when it comes to spending and what the payoff would look like in the future and the bigger things future me would do with the money. I'm so trying to teach myself that one. (laughs) So have you seen the Netflix special with comedian Ronnie Chang? Yes, I love it. He tells the story about how we want things now and expect it to happen right away. And programs like Amazon Prime aren't even good enough these days. There should be an Amazon now and the item just appears in your hand. (laughs) I mean, it's so true. I can't remember where I saw this idea, but I actually like to write thank you notes from future me to current me to motivate me to do things now that I don't want to do. And I wish I did it more often because it's actually really motivated me to do the boring but important stuff. And current me would rather just be watching something mindless on TV. Oh, I didn't know this about you. I'm trying to think of things I just get with all these apps. And it just it's just way too easy to get things right away. So yeah. remember a couple of years ago, one of our friends gave us a special family promo code yes. to a popular <laughs> sportswear company. So she doesn't work there, but her friend's friend did. And it was 50% off everything. And it was only meant for families of employees of the company. So a really small group. Definitely not friends of friends of friends. <laughs> and it was, we both put in a pretty large order because it was 50% off. And even though we didn't need any of the things, the company found out that the code was widely shared. I think it was even on Reddit at one point and canceled all our orders. Yeah, and our friend who gave us the code was like, oh, if you email the company, they're going to honor the promo code. And we both were like, no, no, it's okay. Because <laughs> of the high shopping. I mean, it was so much fun to just shop. I think I had an order there for like 500 bucks and I was like, look at how much stuff I'm buying. Yeah, you bought for your whole family. <laughs> and like, nobody needed it. I was so relieved. We both were. We were both relieved that the orders were canceled. I'm like, that's great. I know. My future self definitely thanked myself for not spending the money. But what are some of the other ways to tackle delayed gratification? And this reminds me of the marshmallow test that we talked about in season one. Yes, exactly. Don't eat the marshmallow. You know, one way could be to just remove the temptation, right? So delete the shopping apps, unsubscribe from the newsletter, don't listen to your friend about the promo code. Another approach is to just write down your long-term goal. So if your long-term goal is to save up for a big trip to Japan, then shopping as this random sale for things you don't really need seems like an easier thing to give up because you have another goal that excites you. Yeah, and the more you practice delayed gratification, the easier it gets, right? You're retraining your brain. Another thing is to understand the underlying motivation for you to do or not do something. So I have an example. So I love working out, but sometimes I need a push, so I sign up for early morning boot camp class. 
And there's been many mornings where my brain and body says it's okay to cancel and stay in bed. <laughs> and <laughs> I open up the app. Yeah. So I open up the app to cancel. And then there's a reminder message that I will lose a credit. And because of that mm-hmm. message, I have actually never canceled. Because my That's motivation amazing. is to not waste a credit and not waste money. And that motivation is so much stronger than actually sleeping in. And at that point, it's not about exercise at all. I think that's you hit the nail on the head. We got to find something that motivates us to offset, remove the temptation, think about what you really, really want. And then also how not to do something that impacts your values. Yeah, exactly. So don't push that buy now button or cancel now button. Think about (laughs) your long-term goals instead. Okay, so our fifth friend had a really altruistic message for her 20-year-old self. And it's around putting away money for donations towards causes. We speak to what she would want the world to look like for her future self. Yeah, I love that message. She also had a great tip about teaching younger kids about money. So she gives her kids $3 a week. Mm -hmm. $1 for savings, $1 for spending, and then $1 for donations. That's such a great lesson to learn so early in life. Thinking about others and, you know, knowing that money can do something more than just when we talk about delayed gratification, more than just things for your future self, right? Like a better future. So friend number six has said that he would have invested in himself. Mm. And when I asked him what he meant by that, I mean, I assumed he meant going back to school to gain more skills, but he clarified and he said it was everything he could do to improve his future. Right. So his idea of investing in himself included things like working and living abroad. He regrets not traveling more and taking risks in his career. Mm -hmm. So he wished that he also took cooking classes earlier in life so that he would learn about nutrition instead of eating only fast food. And he had a health scare a couple years ago. So he would also tell his 20-year-old self to not accumulate debt and pay off his credit card as soon as possible. Yeah, I like that idea. I mean, I love it. You know, you're investing in your future self. I mean, in my case, I was a bit more traditional. I saved up for my graduate degree. And so, you know, I love school. Yeah. <laughs> so I would actually go online shopping for schools all the time. And then I would just top up my school fund every time I did it. I knew I really wanted to go to school. And I knew I didn't want to be in debt when I did it. So that was important to me. I also like what he said about debt. So I'm surprised it didn't come up more in our talks with our friends, but it goes back to understanding money and our money goals at an early age. So in our friend's case, he said that he worked a lot when he was young and he spent all his money on his car, Mm. which in hindsight, he wishes he never got. It's also how he got into credit card debt in the first place. I mean, we all live and learn, right? So he's doing great in life now and he's accomplished a lot. So he's definitely made up for lost time. Okay, so the last tip is a story from a friend. Friend number seven has said, and I quote her text, it has taken me years to actually really understand taxes. And I really wish I understood it before. I would have made a very different life choice and maybe even started my business early. So I actually saw a reel online that talked about how taxes are just an incentive system designed by the government. I mean, if you think about the difference between investments, how they're taxed versus ordinary income you get as an employee, it paints a very different picture of where your time and savings can get the highest return. Yeah, I agree with friend number seven. Very, very savvy. Mm -hmm. And I'm still learning about taxes today. So we've covered a lot today and everything from learning how to save, invest, compound interest, delayed gratification, giving to charity, and also investing in yourself and managing taxes. That's a lot. Yeah, thank you to our friends who shared their stories. Since we can't actually go back in time to have these conversations with our (laughs) 20-year-old selves, we hope these stories spark a good conversation with you and your friend today. Yes, please share this episode with your friends or young people you know who are just starting to make money. It's never too late to start talking about it. And that's why we started this podcast. Let us know your thoughts on this episode. And please send us your comments through our Instagram account at Make It Shine Money. And of course, don't forget to make it shine. Make it shine, make it shine, make it shine.
Any views or opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the podcast creators and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the owner may or may not be associated with in professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.